0: Well, we should probably mention that we have 210 uh, crew members in the 100% Wild Facebook crew on Facebook. We could basically rent a bar out and just have a great night. We have, we <laughs> we can start a militia. Oh, uh, well, okay. I mean, if you got some spare time the and want captain, something to or? do. I don't know if they have captains. I'm the captain Adjutants, now. maybe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want some ridiculous title. All right. <laughs> Colonel Drury. All right.
1: <laughs> This segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Leopold, American to the core.
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild podcast, episode 229. We are your very newest favorite. Murder, She Wrote, Rewatch podcast.
1: Is that what the letters ended up standing for? The Knife off, Knife off.
0: not your favorite podcast? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not your favorite outdoors podcast. That's right. We got
1: to be specific. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to try. Our darndest. So we're back in studio today in the DeerCast studio.
0: Yeah, you are off the road and you are Matt Drury, I should. And you are folks, Tim Selvick, of course. We that's got a great guest <laughs> on today. We'll we'll get to Jim Ronquest in a little bit. So we're going to talk ducks and bucks, which yes, is right. a little change of a pace for us. I only know a little bit about one. One of those topics <laughs> and that, nothing about the, other. that's right. Absolutely. Zero. <laughs> so I'm looking s- forward to it. Same here. So we should catch folks up on your little trip to Kansas. Yeah. So
1: as we did the last podcast, I was in Kansas in the, the mobile command unit there, <laughs> okay, the trailer, <laughs> the trailer. And, uh, I believe when we filmed that, was that Thursday we filmed it? It was, yeah, it was. So yeah. the day before we talked about, I had set up a ground blind with Scott and, uh, and, and our landowner in a fence row that we had kept seeing this eight point, a couple bucks walking down. It was sure. about four or 500 yards from where we had been set up. And, uh, so, so Wednesday night, we, we, or Wednesday afternoon, I should say, we hunted there and, and didn't have any luck. So Thursday after we filmed the podcast, we went out mm-hmm. and, uh, our eight-pointer, he shows up. And it was it was interesting because Deercast was saying that it was just going to be okay, which yeah. Mark and Terry talk about it all the time. That's still okay to go hunt. And like, the deer
0: are still out there.
1: Yeah, they're still out there. You still get a, a decent shot, you know? Uh, but what was kind of going against this is was you know, the temperatures were starting to get a little warmer and mm-hmm. it was just, you know, ideal conditions weren't as ideal because sure. the full moon was on the 20th. So the moon was starting to set later and later in the mornings and, you know, it just wasn't as ideal as it, as it had been. Mm-hmm. So anyways, we go in there, we go in fairly early cause we had nothing else to do. So we were sitting in there <laughs> and it's well. warm and it's warm and we're sitting there and I'm like, I don't know about yeah, tonight, yeah. but I pull up DeerCast and all of a sudden, and this is the beauty of it because it's that hourly forecast mm-hmm. it's constantly being updated it changed from an okay all afternoon Dude, to a good that's for the awesome. last three hours and not that that's you know the end all be all but yeah, I, I deer even, aren't
0: looking at it and be like oh i should get oh, up I, I gotta move Time to it go. says deer is good
1: <laughs> but i looked at scott and i'm like hey this actually changed like it changed my disposition about the hunt a little bit funny yeah it's funny how that works the mental side of hunting and and i know all you know all you awesome hunters out there that don't need an app to go hunt. I'm not saying that, but it was pretty interesting. It changed and not. Long after that, the deer did start getting up and start moving. Yeah. And uh, our eight pointer, he shows up at the end of the field that he had been showing up on, but instead of walking down the fence row like he had done every time we'd seen him, he walked clear across the field to, to the other blind, like <laughs> How 100 close yards was he to the other 100 blind? yards. He was definitely within, you know, we're using that <laughs> traditions, nitro fire. He was within range. Yeah. I was like, son of a. I, as Scott said, I was dog cussing that, and that blind <laughs> yes. because i'm just looking at him in the binoculars I'm like he's going right to the I'm other playing whack-a-mole and up. we we didn't sit there because the wind even though they're scent proof i i'm still playing the wind to a to yeah, degree it's probably and, a good idea you know i'm like hey look we got two afternoon sits left thursday and friday thursday yeah. we still got this southerly wind which is what the ground blind was set up for and friday we got a northerly okay. wind well we had an encounter with an absolute you know, 22 inch wide, 10 point stud whitetail over in that other blind. And I was like, Hey, if all else fails, we got one more shot over there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I didn't want to screw it up by hunting it on the wrong wind yeah. on Thursday. So we had one more shot the ground blind. So anyways, we decided not to sit that box blind and here, sure enough, he walked right to it. Well, out of nowhere, it, it's interesting. Cause there was like 50, there's a flock of turkeys that kept kind of every night they'd walk right past us and they'd mm-hmm. fly up into this roost tree every Damn. night. And, uh, they were kind of messing around where this deer was at, this eight pointer was at. And I think he got annoyed by it. Hmm. It kind of kept pushing them off and moving around. And, and finally he just decided to walk our way. And not long before that three or four deer popped out right next to us i'm talking like 20 yards away from us Mm -hmm. in this fence row and they were kind of feeding and a few does and a young buck and i don't know if that's what made him Hmm. have interest but anyways he committed and he came towards us well as i'm was we're trying to figure out where he's gonna walk of course he goes Past a, he's basically downwind of us. So if we used our scent crusher gear, and we had ozone going, and we sprayed down. We put nose jammer on our boots like yeah. we did the whole thing. And uh, showers before we went out, All everything. Separate. Separate showers. Okay. It, that shower wouldn't have been big enough for the both, <laughs> both of us in that RV. <laughs> so anyways, he's coming. He goes downwind, and he's kind of zigzagging back and forth. and he's on the side of the blind it's all brushed in and there's only Mm -hmm. the little triangle window on that side of the muddy ground blind sure so scott opened it up he's filming out of it like barely can film out of it and i'm i'm like all right i'm gonna have to shoot out of this thing too so we're we are as you see the (laughs) footage which it'll be on deer season 21 another week or so we are so close to each other in that blind and i'm like kind of cocked cockeyed yeah. trying to see out the window because for me he's at the far right side and i'm i okay. got the scope on the tradition so yeah. i'm trying to get in position to see out of the scope i couldn't range find him because the camera is in the way but he was close enough i felt like he was about 50 yards or so mm-hmm. and um but he was zigzagging so at one point i get out the front window but then he commits he kind of zigzagging towards you yeah and uh and so finally he commits and he gets broadside going past us so i could get, get back out of the little side window uh-huh. and uh, we shoot him he dies right there it's in the good field hit. yeah it was it the muzzleloader just i mean that thing's on on and uh, it felt everything just worked out <laughs> you're like oh <laughs> like, it's Wait. happened <laughs> yeah <laughs> scott, <laughs> this worked scott and i were pretty excited and the landowner was was thrilled and uh so we we made it happen there in kansas in a Sweet. span of four days we encountered that deer got there monday afternoon at like Mm -hmm. we went out and hunted it was like 6 15 we were were late and basically that deer was already up Moving on the field. Yeah. So we saw him Monday, saw him Tuesday, didn't see him Wednesday. We made the move, got aggressive, made the move, mm-hmm. but then we saw him Thursday and it worked out and we we killed him. So it's a good
0: feeling. When you yeah. do things that end up working out, yeah. you're like, I, 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 I'm <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Just don't act surprised.
1: Yeah, like, yeah, that's how we do it. Well, the landowner's like, Man, you guys, you really do know what you're doing. I'm like, Yeah, that's right. That's
0: right. Well, do what I can. <laughs> <laughs> so we walked out of there
1: feeling pretty good about ourselves. No doubt. And of course, you know, we as we mentioned on the last podcast, the landowner on my lease at home had killed that 174-inch mainframe eight while during the cold front. So I kind of felt the pressure of if I don't kill something on this trip, this was the worst week ever. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean it's a lot of time yeah. involved going out there, and then maybe having missed out on hunting here locally. Yeah, so so it all worked all out. All's well that ends well. Yep. Yes, sir. Well, we should probably mention that we have 210 uh, crew members in the 100% Wild Facebook crew on Facebook. We could basically rent a bar out and just have a great night. We have, we <laughs> we can start a militia. Oh, uh, well, okay. I mean, if you got some spare time you and the want captain, something to or? do. <laughs> I don't know if they have captains. I'm the captain Adjutants, now. maybe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want some ridiculous title. All right. <laughs> Colonel Drury. <laughs> All right. Let's move along. Uh, yeah, so we've got some shout outs from, I don't think this is this, Person's real name. Erfit. Uh, There's no vowels in this person's uh, handle. From Apple Podcasts, they gave us a five star rating, which we very much appreciate. Said good stuff, thumbs up, very informative and funny.
1: With a smiley face. All right, next one's Bucky Downer, YouTube, Matt's on the road. And all he says is hundred percent wild. So (laughs) I think he just really likes it. All right. Sounds good. So we'll do our darnedest. All right. Without further ado, let's get into
0: why we're really here today. Yeah. So was it last month we were with our friends over at Winchester uh, for the team Winchester Summit. That's right. And uh, part of that team includes Jim Ronquist. He's the good part of the team. <laughs> then there's the rabble. Yeah, he's Th- the professional us. side of it, <laughs> right. and then there's us. <laughs> so Jim, if, if folks don't know, they probably do. But if you don't, you're Jim under a rock. is a <laughs> world championship <laughs> duck caller. That's right. A, a huge waterfowler. Uh, I think he. I think Jim, you got the Communicator of the Year in 2019 from Ducks Unlimited. Correct. Yes and that is great and countless other accolades he's the producer and co-host of rntv and, and uh one of the originators in the industry man one of the guys that OG. mark and terry and and these guys all look up to
1: and and speak very fondly of And and jim we're just happy to to have you on thank you so much for joining us
2: hey man i'm I'm happy to be here. I'm just like a pig and flop. Y'all asked
1: me to be on your show. I appreciate it. You know what? We, at that uh, summit, we went out one night. Well, so they they had like a dinner. A function at a brewery and after the brewery you know closed or whatever we went back <laughs> to the hotel and Jim and I sat up and closed that bar down that night and we just had the best time just telling stories and talking and and chit-chatting and we we both said you know what we need to have each other on each other's uh podcast because yeah. you you do like a Instagram live Facebook live deal as well yeah. right
2: on, on Monday nights I try to do every Monday evening at eight four drink and do a Monday night live on instagram and it's really fun that you know a lot of times i have a guest and you'll get into all kinds of conversations and then i try to keep up with all the comments when folks mm-hmm. you know they'll have a question or a comment on something and it it, it kind of keeps you on your toes because it jumps all around so yeah it's fun
1: it's a fun deal we need to do that what's next your week or two what's your handle on instagram so people can go over there and, and follow you <laughs> Uh, right out of the gate, at, I challenged you. <laughs>
2: yeah, no kidding. I think it's at Jim Ronquist. Heck, I got to look it up. Um, I don't know. You we will. Be we'll link we'll verify me. that,
0: and then Thank we'll link you. it up in the show notes. I appreciate it. You know uh, when I you think that's it. when you first
1: jumped on, I lo- I said, man, I love your background. And then you told us about your your storefront there. Give us a little rundown of of the store that you guys have there uh, yeah. and, and where it's at, because I think that is awesome. Awesome, man. So we're we're set here in
2: Stuttgart, Arkansas, next to Maxbury Wings at the RNT Calls Call Shop, our, our headquarters, where we do all of our manufacturing. The front up here is our retail space. And I, I want to come up here to kind of show it off and it looks better than my office. So <laughs> I'll give you a little walkthrough here. So hey. um this is kind of what we call the tap room. Um, here's the bar, Miss Saunders back here doing stuff. Um Say hi, Saunders. Hello. We got all the different different taps there. All the beers are Arkansas brewed beer. Um, We uh, got a duck call collection here. We got a cooler. It's kind of neat looking here. Um, Different beers you can you can get. Um, The one that we got our name on. Let me go here and find the flying duck. Here we go. (laughs) The flying Um, duck. Yeah. So the Flying Duck beer here. Here's a T-shirt that's uh, nice. got the logo on it, right there. That's what the beer can looks like. I need that. <laughs> um, there's there's some right there. RNT Flying Duck. Cool. Um, it's just kind of a cool spot. Just kind of give you a little tour there. Um, we got over here. We got the custom call counter. Um,
0: it's not a small space. No, we. Wow. Got some calls there. You know, um, you've made
1: it when you have your own beer and a storefront where you serve beer, and you're not even a beer company. Mm-hmm. Like that's Mark Terry, get on the ball here. <laughs> we need what a brewery. We need a tap room. Right? <laughs> so, that's right.
2: There you go. There's kind of the basic basic rundown of of uh, our retail space. So thought that's- it'd be cool to hang out up here with y'all.
1: And that is cool, man. I I appreciate you taking us on the tour. And uh, if anybody's ever in that area, man, you got to stop by and check it out. Uh, so, all right. Before we dive too, too deep into it for those that may be under the rock, kind of give us a, a 30,000 foot view of, of how you got into the industry. And at that time, probably it really wasn't much of an industry, how you got into this and, and kind of what, you know, I guess your passions growing up, like, I assume that kind of led you down this path, right?
2: Yes. So, um, a 30,000 foot view bullet point. That's good. So like a lot of folks that y'all know, like yourself and Mark and Terry, I grew up in a hunting family. Um, my parents enjoyed the outdoors. Um, it was a big thing for everybody to get up and go hunting anymore. You know, that, that was and all the moving around we did what dad always ensured we lived out out of town and um we had an opportunity to go run bird dogs deer hunt i grew up quail hunting duck hunting and deer hunt um and then as time moved on i thought man that's a work construction messing around in turkey calling contest duck calling contest kind of stuff that's how i got to know of uh, mark and terry um in the early days the video was on the pretty pro staff and you know, it's back when it was cool. If you everybody knew, man, if you had a Panasonic, whatever number, <laughs> AG four hundred and fifty, right? I mean, yeah, at AG four hundred and fifty. That's it. I still got one, actually. Man, you were somebody, and I said that's cool. You know, I, I like the video side of things because you show people what you get to see, right? Yeah. I always thought that was so cool. Um. Anyway, that led to whatever it led into. You know, I I, I kept working at it and wound up working into more on the waterfowl side of the industry than the turkey side but still doing both um and the rest is history i wound up here at rt um produce videos TV show work on some call design stuff and um just again happy to be here and that, that's a that's a very short condensed version of how i wound up where I wound up
0: you know the the common denominator because we we had co Strickland on the show it's been a couple of years now but guys that seem to have longevity in the industry seem to have this a strong work ethic but also a lot of humility and just gratitude for recognizing like hey we we're fortunate to get to work in this space because not everybody gets to
1: for sure there's that element of it uh but there's also the element of changing with the times you know, and to continue to stay relevant, even, you know, as you mentioned, your Instagram uh, live that you do on Mondays, like those types of things. And cuz has his own podcast and like, those aren't, you know, that, that, those aren't easy things for, as you get older in age to say, you know what, I, you know, you could easily say, I'm not doing this, you know, but you guys are changing with the times and making sure that you're going where the consumer is and, and, and continuing to stay relevant because that's, that's almost what has to happen anymore. Or to make sure that people know that you're out there. And so I, that's what I love about, about what you're doing. And, and when we were chatting that night at the bar, it was interesting to me to hear kind of the approach that you take and, and keeping, you know, Keeping yourself out there and, and kind of changing the way that you produce and, and, and do TV or, or now social media and, and all that stuff. So I just, I think that part, you know, the, the reason why people gravitate towards it, you're doing it, but then you're showcasing your personality, mm-hmm. which is, that's the thing that people love, right? It's my weak point. Yeah. Well, that's why we have bad social media following. <laughs> <laughs> but True. Is that, I mean, would you agree with that, Jim? Or, or do you have a different take on it? No, I, I think you're pretty
2: much spot on, Matt. You, and the big thing is, like you said, keeping up with the times. Um, I, I should probably do more. I, I make one post on Instagram a week, and that's if I'm going to do the Monday Night Live thing or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I need to be more active there. And, and of course, as producing the show, uh, we're airing our 16th season of RNTV this year. Nice. But we're also looking at okay, what can we do different? What can we what can we do to gain a bigger audience? Um, you know, in the waterfowl world, it's not the not the deer world by no means. So we're dealing with less amount of people for sure. So trying to stay relevant in that same space, you know, there's a lot of deer hunters that duck hunt, um, and they're most all duck hunters, deer hunt, but there's way more overall deer hunters. So we're trying to get space and get numbers in y'all's world, basically, um, which is is a tougher gig. So Um, it's the same people, but you got to keep it interesting on our side. That makes any sense. So we're always looking for ways to increase audience. And and of course, as y'all know, working with your sponsors, we've got to do the same with ours. You know, they they want that return on investment numbers and eyeballs. So yeah, we try to stay, stay new and different and up, up with the times. So
1: now on your show, do you guys also dive into the, the whitetail side or is it just predominantly the waterfowl?
2: predominantly waterfowl. You know, if, if we, we have a good deer encounter during the hunt, um, a lot of times we'll see some really good deer in river bottoms in the mornings, boating in, you know, on a levee or swimming sure. and whatnot. You know, we'll talk about that and show it. But um, we did do, I did do a mule deer hunt, combination mule deer hunt and duck hunt on the show a couple of years ago out in Nebraska. And have kicked around doing a combo of duck hunt, deer hunt, because a lot of folks here, our owner for sure, he'll duck hunt in the morning, come to the office for a little while, and he's in the stand in the afternoon. So um, we, we should probably showcase more of that. It would probably help us draw a bigger mm-hmm. audience.
1: That, and that's kind of why I wanted to have you on to talk about that because you were talking about just your passion for for whitetail hunting. And of course, we, we knew you had a passion for turkey and, and waterfowl, but how do you balance that? Because I've been asked to go, you know, in, in the fall and, and when, when the duck season starts and there's great ground kind of where my lease is and, you know, there's some opportunity there, but I don't know how you can balance it because those guys yeah. like Aaron Bennett and his buddies, they'll get up. I mean, it's like a 2am get up, drive to their spot, put all the decoys out. All the equipment. Yeah. I'm like, how do you guys juggle this, man? I can't do it. I got one track mine, I guess. And too simple.
0: <laughs> well, I like- the same both. All right. I, bucks
1: it is. I can't, I can't do bucks yeah. and ducks. So how do you balance right.
2: that? Well, it, you really don't. So if you're really duck hunting, you're, especially on the road, you're really duck hunting. Um, you know, if it's peak of the rut, it, you know, that's kind of what you, if that's what your focus is, that's the direction you got to go. Um, you may be able to hunt a little bit in the morning, but man, them late nights on the deer stand coming out after dark and getting you get your stuff ready and up at three o'clock in the morning, go mm-hmm. duck hunting and then a break the deer hunting afternoon we got to remember this stuff is supposed to be fun. (laughs) So um, you really don't, you just got to pick your, pick your poison for that period of time for folks that are pretty serious deer hunters. If you're chasing a big buck during the rut, you you know, you'll pick them a few days and you'll go sit on the stand. Then Mm. other than that, you just, Hey man, I got a free afternoon. I'm going to go see what happens you know, that kind of
0: thing. What's the best way? So say a, a, a whitetail hunter is listening to us right now. They've always been interested in waterfowling, but they've never done it. What's the, like, what are some of the best ways to get in without too much of an investment?
2: Right. A good, a good way to get started there is, is find a reputable outfitter or find a buddy that duck hunts mm-hmm. and say, Hey man, can I go along and just kind of see what this is all about? And most, most all duck hunters will take somebody like that along that if you, have an interest in hunting anyway, man, a guy said, Hey, Jimbo, man, I want to go duck hunt. Well, heck, man, we'll find a time and we'll go. And that's a good way to see it. That way you're not buying decoys and boats and everything that goes along with it. Um, or book a hunt with a reputable guide, that's a good outfitter that you can go along with. Mm. Um, you'll have a little investment in booking that hunt, but you won't be buying new guns and decoys and all that. Stuff. Sure. And that'd be a great way to go learn about it. It, and it's amazing how everything overlaps. You know, I get a lot of intel from deer hunters that's sitting on stand afternoon where ducks might be traveling to. Uh, mm. Especially here, we've got some big tracks of public ground that's in the river bottoms. And if a guy's hunting in the bottoms, I'll ask him, "Hey man, was there any ducks crossing tonight? Do you know which way they were going?" You know, and you'll get a lot of good intel, and vice versa. You know, you'll see deer in places where duck hunting, standing in flooded woods that you people wouldn't think. Them bucks are going to, but they're hanging out in that knee deep water, getting away from pressure a lot of times. So there is an overlap there, and there's some of the same skill sets. Yeah kind of overlap on both of them.
1: Jim, what kind of, like you know, I assume that there are duck leases, much like there are deer hunting leases. What What's the kind of average price you would look at? I know yeah. like for deer hunting and, and some really good areas, you're looking at 20 to $30 an acre. Um, what, you know, what are you looking at for, for leasing duck hunting ground down there or anywhere? It,
2: right. So around here, um, whereas most folks, Turkey and deer leases deal by the lease by the acre. Around here is pretty much by the property or the track or a field. Um, I know of one farm that's just just as an example. I think that place is a three twenty or three forty. Um, it's got two blind fighting and a woods hole, a little hardwood timber hole. And deer hunting and duck hunting combined on it. I think it's like sixty five a year um, for season. So I'd I'd have to run the math on that um, average. Field pit in a rice field around here, that's kind of, we're rice country in this part of the world. So there's a lot of people after you get the rice out, there'll be a permanent pit in a levee somewhere. Um, They'll pull the gates back in put water on it. If they're really decent, they'll go for $7,500 to $10,000 a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some more, some less, but that's kind of a ballpark in the middle deal.
1: So it's, I mean, that's kind of, you know, I, what, where deer prices are going too. I mean, it's kind of the same ballpark. Mm-hmm. And, and do you feel like it's <clears throat> the barrier to entry is, is uh, just cost or is it that you can go to good public ground places and you don't have to have the fancy equipment and, you know, the latest and greatest. And it's still, it's still accessible to people.
2: Yeah, you know, it's a good question. You know, as we all know, accessibility is getting to be a big thing with everybody, whether you're a duck hunter, a deer hunter, a quail hunter, whatever you do, accessibility is big. And we're fortunate in this country to have all the public ground we have. At times, though, as y'all know, that can be pretty crowded. We are fortunate here in this part of the world to have several big state WMAs, uh, White River Refuge, Castor Refuge is the largest contiguous block of bottomland hardwoods mm-hmm. in the country. Uh, you're talking 150,000, 100, you know, several hundred thousand acres of, of public hunting opportunity. But Mother Nature has to flood that. Um, it's great deer hunting, duck hunting. Used to be some turkeys in there. Anyway, w- we're fortunate that here there are places that you can take a shotgun and walk in and wade in the woods and go hunt. And always needs a duck call and a few decoys. Um, but for the most part, the more you get into it, you're going to want a boat, the motor, and more decoys. And if then if you get into the dog world and um, retriever, the whole retriever set spectrum is a fun thing too that I'm involved in. So you know, it's just one thing leads to another. Whereas if you're a deer hunter, um, a, a nice bow setup, um, a crossbow setup, and a rifle, and you can and a couple stands, you can deer hunt a lot for a lot less mm-hmm. investment. Um, here again, we're fortunate to our places. You can just grab a shotgun and your duck call and walk in and go hunting, but it's not as much as we'd like to have.
0: Uh, that's kind of the the overwhelming aspect of duck hunting is because I have a pretty addictive personality. I find something I, that I like and I go all in. And so I'm <laughs> concerned about like, Oh, you know, I don't want to start breeding dogs and I don't want to, you know, have a, a garage full of, you know, 200 decoys and like, I, cause I just, now that's know. what your wife says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, I'd like to stay married if that's possible. And I've, we've already got enough like deer hunting stuff to find storage for it's Called junk. <laughs> <laughs> feels like yeah, it sometimes, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm curious cause I know you do a lot of work in the conservation world. Like are there areas of overlap between whitetail conservation issues and waterfowl conservation issues.
2: Yes, there are, you know, pretty much with all critters, you know, that they all live off, off mother, mother nature and a good earth. Right. So, um, waterfowl naturally in their name, they, they tend to lean the water. Um, but there's a lot of food sources that are the same, especially nowadays in big ag areas, you know, hot foods like corn. Um, You know, that's kind of one of the hot topics in the waterfowl world about there's more corn production in the Midwest than there used to be. And there's more people that floods corn uh, for waterfowl use. But those same areas are holding deer. I can't tell you countless times, uh, even coming out of flooded woods, um, there was a buck locked down with a doe. There's a little high ridge in the there was two deer right there. This was the last year we was coming out peak of the rut. Pretty nice buck. We just caught a glimpse of an antler. And he's locked down in a, with a doe and a blowdown on just a little small ridge. So some of that same habitat that we use for waterfowl is, is pertinent to ducks. Um, and then some of that edge ground between where it's wet and where it's dry and heavy cover. How many times have y'all been in the river bottoms up there? That's, that's where you go find a buck or that's where you find a doe. Or in, in the springtime when doe is, Fawn and you know that edge cover is important to both waterfowl and deer and turkeys and quail and everything else. So um, yes, there is an overlap. And if we take good care of the ground and take care of the habitat, manage it properly, we're going to benefit all those species. You, know, you may lean into some hinge cutting, some hickories and some undesirables in your woods uh-huh. to to kind of make for more deer habitat. Um, you may try to increase some thickets for for other stuff. But yeah, there's definite overlap. And I'm going to back up a little bit. He's talking about public opportunity and, and y'all being in Missouri. Missouri has some pretty cool public areas that they draw for. You can put your name in a hat and you get drawn and manage. They got the blinds. All you got to have is a few decoys and be ready to go. And you can do that pretty reasonable. And they're typically pretty productive too. So I would say to you as a Missouri hand, um, try to get a get a drawing at Grand Pass or Duck Creek or one of the other WMAs up there. And that's another good way to go enjoy the waterfowl resource without having a whole lot invested. And it's not like hunting overrun public ground. You you've got your place, and there's not somebody right on top of it.
0: Yep. Yeah, I've done that a few times. Those are some early, early mornings, especially when you're driving from a distance. That's what I'm
1: saying about Bennett and those Whew. guys. I mean, it's like one, two a.m. and yeah, you know, it's like eh, I'm not that eight up. You gotta <laughs> really want to do it. That's right. <laughs> of course, you know, when it comes to the rut, I get up at two a.m. and go. You know, so it's really no different.
0: There, are, <laughs> there are oddities that you know that are just required by every passion. Yeah. So you just kind of gut it out and grin and bear it and make it happen. Yeah. yeah.
2: That, that's that's all part of it y'all um, there's places here on the public ground that you can't enter until 4 o'clock so there's guys will be getting in a boat at 2 o'clock in the morning running up the river and just hanging out until they can get in you know at 4 o'clock so um, that happens in everything no different than whether it's deer or ducks or whatever you might be chasing you right. just change your sleep patterns right if yeah. you gotta get up at 2 try to be in bed by 7 <laughs>
1: i i a, a while back, I, I vaguely remember watching an episode of The Crush with Lee and Tiffany where I feel like they went down to Arkansas for some like big opener and all these boats were on the water and like at, at a certain time they all got to go to their spots and it was like it was like an armada hey. of boats. It was everybody in the dark. Is that is that down near you where that yes, takes place? That, that that happens here on a regular basis during the um,
2: the boat race, they call it. And there's folks are serious about it. Hot Rod Motors, get the
0: hell out of my way. I'm coming. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I was like, all right, I think I drowned out
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'd die before I get to my spot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Jim, we should also mention that, so I, I, I don't know how you... I don't know how you find the time of the day to make all this happen, but not only are you involved in waterfowl conservation, whitetails, but also wild turkeys. How do you, Mm. how do you do that?
2: Man, I I just try, just do a little bit of everything and and you you get by, you know, Um, another good show we'd be talking about turkeys for tomorrow yeah um it's a new um turkey conservation we've kind of we've had our 501c3 now for about eight months um we're hopefully be able to put the press release out today signing off on our first two or three projects wow. um it's pretty exciting man pretty exciting stuff it's fun to be a part of um i am i'm the co-chair of it but the, the main guy doing all the work right now is a guy y'all may know of from back in the day ron jolly okay um, yeah Jolly's the, the he's the one doing all the heavy lifting, um, and I don't have to do a whole lot other than answer a few emails or offer my opinion. So it mm-hmm. makes it easy for me to be a part of him. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a cool thing. Um, we're fixing it out to uh, well, I'll just say it here. So through uh, Dr. Will Goulds, be at the University of Auburn in Alabama, Auburn University, to say it proper. Um, we're doing a uh, a goblin chronology chronology study mm. with some digital sound meters. I'm um, along with the Dominant gobbler research project. You know, there's some talk, and, and this gets into a whole nother down another big rabbit hole, but, you know, Matt, Tim, y'all probably thought forever, like I did, you think if you shoot a Dominant gobbler in the springtime, then another one's going to immediately take mm. its place. That's kind of way I watched it and brought up. Well, now there's some folks saying that that may not be like that, that it may take a while for that, Lieutenant gobbler to take place as the dominant bird, so I kind of want to know. Uh, and there's there's some talk about if if they're fertile or not, if they can truly breed a hen. I, I don't know. I kind of I kind of think they can, but let's find out. And that's part of the research project. And then we're putting I think 35 or 50 GPS transmitters on some hens in the springtime to check out some what's going on with pulps or survival poult production and where these hens are nesting and where they're going to after the hatch. So wow. a lot of cool stuff to learn. Here.
1: I definitely want to have you back on in the spring and when it's top of mind for people. And cause I started following turkeys for tomorrow months ago, I had no idea you were involved in it. And then somehow we, that night we were chatting it it got brought up and I was, I was just like, Holy cow, that's awesome. We need to have <laughs> you on and, and have you talking about it because they, you know, it's, I, I, uh, you know, you should go follow turkeys for tomorrow on, on Instagram and keep up with them. But I, I don't know, it just, there's so much working against the wild Turkey right now that it, it's nice to see some, some people that are so passionate about it, uh, get behind it and, and try to do something to, you know, NWTF, you know, does a great job as well. Obviously they're the, the, the big gorilla in the room that's doing a lot of the heavy lifting, but it's great to see organizations like this start to pop up and really boots on the ground and, and get, get involved as well. So we're happy to help, uh, push and promote it in any way we can. And want to definitely have you back on in the spring to talk about it.
2: Shoot. Yeah. We will save some of the good stuff for, for, springtime, but I appreciate the shout out there. Um, and just for the record, and we'll get more into it, into it in the springtime. We're, we're not out to try to compete with the NWTF. We, we want to be who we are. And, and like you say, we're boots on the ground, research oriented turkey hunters and the travel a little bit. And we all have seen the past few years of turkey numbers. Going down pretty rapidly. Yeah, I have heard from several folks just anecdotally talking to folks around the country. It appears we've had kind of a decent hatch in places this year. I've heard more people talk about seeing poles than than I have uh, in the past couple of years.
0: Yeah, same here. Uh, that's
1: that's good. We need that.
0: Yeah, it, it's getting, it's it's promising. And I, and I wonder, Jim, like uh, the 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 goblin chronology study, and like how that relates to if. A non-dominant bird will breed a hen, like if she'll allow that. How long do you think it'll be? Like, how many years of data do you think you're going to need before you start to have a good idea?
2: Yes, that's a good question. This project's a five-year study. Okay. Um, you know, there's been gobble counts go on forever. I remember back in the early '80s, people talking about gobble counts. You know, and, and the chronology, chronology of that. So that's all leading into use the Missouri model to where. Missouri always had the idea that they set their spring turkey season to happen after most of the hens have been bred to kind of maybe catch the second peak of the goblin season. Some states start really early. Um, so there's the argument that, that say Mississippi and Alabama that start really early mm-hmm. that we're shooting them dominant gobblers before the hens are even breeding yeah. and you look at the average hatch dates across the country hence why the GPS transmitters on the hens will start learning more about when those actual hatch rates are and in fact correlates back to goblin peaks so kind of in my world just spending time in the woods you got that first early goblin peak in in mid to late March depending on the weather and then you know it kind of goes downhill and then kind of picks back up mid-April, even latitude, not necessarily latitude-specific, to where you can be in North Missouri and they're acting the same there, relatively so, as they might be um, in South Missouri, Central Arkansas, Mm -hmm. Mississippi, Alabama. So the idea there is seeing if maybe we can prove to folks that if they start the season later, we cannot harvest as many dominant birds early and maybe prove that turkeys aren't, how many times y'all heard this? And they're gobbled out. Um, they're done and and they may be, but, um, I think it goes on further than what folks realize. And it's probably, I don't know this for fact, this is pure speculation, but I think that the main peak breeding time and hatch time, at least from probably North Missouri, South our part of the world probably happens within about that same Mm -hmm. couple weeks period. Um, I think you could argue that you get up in, you know, New York, Pennsylvania up there that, you know, that start it's later up there, but I I don't, I don't know if it's as big a gap as we've often thought it was. Mm -hmm. That's just, we're going to find out.
0: Yeah. 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 It'd be interesting. I don't want to dig too deep on this, but I'm curious if the gobble, like are the, are the Tom's self-reporting how often they're gobbling or do you have people out listening to them?
2: Well, this, that's the beauty of, of the song meters. So in the past, you put people out there, the old gobble counts, you know, you'd station people everywhere. Well, how many did you hear this morning? Well, how many did you hear? Was you yawning? Was you sipping on the coffee? Was you listening to that coyote instead of listening to this turkey gobble mm. or whatever? So the song meters record that digitally and they've come up with a computer program. As I understand, they can run it, run that audio through something and it'll pick out some spikes and then they can count gobbles and they can start comparing that to where. It's, you know, of course, we know right there, break of day is going to be the highest numbers, but we can see those up and down peaks on time of year. Okay. If it's, you know, early spring, mid spring, late spring, and, you know, maybe prove out those different peaks. Interesting. Um, I think it will be interesting.
0: I kind of like the idea of a... Gobbler walking to a, like a polling station and self reporting on how many times he gobbled that day. <laughs>
2: <So>. <laughs> Hit a button. Right.
0: That yeah, was about
2: 10. Also, the, the dominant gobbler study, too, is going to be interesting. And they're going to try to, I don't know exactly how they're doing it, but um, they're going to, it's on public and private ground, too. So that way you, we've got kind of a fair control, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, public ground turkeys get more pressured. They're going to shut up quicker than well-manicured private ground will. Sure. But uh, on the dominant bird deal, they're going to try to do some uh, sperm counts to see if there is a difference between a dominant bird and a subdominant bird. You know, mm-hmm. if you watch two or three t- turkeys strutting in the springtime and you, you've got a good set and there's three coming in, there's one that's really white and the other two are red. Um, and that white turkey is always the dominant turkey. One's got the more white than wattles. waddles. <laughs> um, so you just wonder if there is a difference there. I don't know. Uh-uh. To me, if you look at it, mother major wise, um, yeah. How many times have you seen a Jake try to try to top a hen decoy? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it seemed to me if they couldn't breed just through natural selection evolution, why would they even try? It? You know, that why why would you waste that energy? So um, it would be pretty interesting to see what comes out of this study and if if all that does happen or doesn't happen. You know, may change turkey on Sure. It. Who knows?
0: Yeah, yeah. We'll have to stay tuned on that one. I like that. I don't, change turkey <laughs> yeah,
2: I don't really want to change it. Let me rephrase that. Well, that was a bad phrase. No, but uh, you're right.
1: Like timing it, of seasons. based on and... what you guys find out or help to find out. It may change some timing of seasons. And that's because it's a, fun, it's real fun to turkey hunt when they're acting right. You know, you hear yeah. that when they're acting right, oh, but that may be part of the problem for us, you know, and we're, we're the only ones that are going to fix our own issues. So this kind of research is going to help it. <laughs>
2: Well, it will, and, you know, we really have to, of course, if we get two or three good years of good hatches, maybe it doesn't matter. You know, maybe that's what we're seeing. Uh, those of us who got to see the rise, I remember my dad talking about turkey hunting in early days of Missouri season and then seeing how it rose to what it was in the, in the up through the nineties and early two thousands and to see what it is now. Um, is that habitat based? Is it weather based? Is it over harvest issues? Just exactly what are those problems? So now we can maybe find out and know what, which way we need to go. You know, as, as hunters, as American hunters, we've always paid our own way and we can fix our own problems. We yeah. just got to put our finger on what those problems are.
0: What, what I hope is that we don't have a few good years of production and people start to, because it's a very localized Perspective that most people have, like, oh, sure. you know, I heard, I, I saw, I saw some birds, I saw none, <laughs> heard heard some good gobbling. It was a great season. I, I hope that we aren't so parochial in our thinking that if we locally have some good seasons, that we can forget about all these kind of larger systemic issues that turkeys have that we stay focused on the the bigger, more long-term picture.
1: By and large, when you look at social media in the spring, you really get a sense of it's down everywhere. I mean, by, Mm -hmm. by and large, big picture, when you kind of, you know, check in on different posts or what people are saying, it's been pretty negative over the last couple of years. So I don't see that just magically changing with a good, you know, a good hatch or two, Mm -hmm. um, because ultimately the numbers, like Jim saying you, if you knew what it was in the 90s and in the early 2000s and what it is now it's just not the same yeah now of course there's areas where we saw 50 in Kansas on mm-hmm. this one piece they don't hunt turkeys they couldn't care less about turkeys yeah. I mean that's that that makes a difference I'm sure
0: and one of our listeners uh just sent us a note saying hey I'm covered up in turkeys up here in Minnesota like yeah. I don't know what you guys are talking about yeah. so yeah yeah I mean you just you have to have a, a bigger picture bigger and more long-term yep. perspective on the issues for, mm-hmm. for, for
1: not wanting to dive into this we really dove into it <laughs> we got pretty deep there pretty quick and, you know
2: for. we're kind of fighting the same thing this year in the waterfowl world so um it's been a dry year on the prairies and the duck breeding areas the northern tier states and the canadian prairies and of course those areas have to dry out at times to so they can rebuild Um, but there probably wasn't much duck production this past year. And because of COVID, if you're into duck hunting, you'll understand what the B pop and the May pond counts are. Um, Every year in May, a cooperative deal between the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Canadian Wildlife Service, and different state agencies do a major deal. They fly all these transects, and they count how many ponds are on the landscape, and they count how many breeding pairs of different duck species they see. And that's all plugged into an adaptive harvest management report to, to know how many ducks we got, what our breeding population is, and what our Breeding habitat is like those ponds, those temporary wetlands on the prairie. So this past year was extremely dry, uh, 1980s dry, along with having two years because of COVID, they couldn't do the bee pot or the May pond count. So a lot of concern this year with a liberal duck season in front of us, which is a 60-day season in Mississippi and Central Flyway or Mississippi and Atlantic, um, trying to decide if that's the right decision or not. So hopefully we've all made the right decision. We got good numbers in the background to back it up. And then this next spring we'll be able to go back and do a May pond count and be pop and see where we're at. And then hope we have good, some good weather to put some water back on those areas for this next spring. So it's all back to your question about, is there overlap in mm-hmm. that habitat management? Yes. For all, all of them, you know, um, it all, it all comes down to weather and habitat. Um, think of, talking back to turkeys, how many years in a row we had torrential rains Memorial Day weekend. Um, you know, about that prime hatch date for turkeys. What was it? Two or three years ago, South Missouri, North Arkansas, had 20-some inches of rain yeah. right after turkey season. So, you know that wiped out a lot of nests. And the same way with ducks. If you get a bunch of moisture on the ground, you fill all your ponds up, all that cover gets flooded um, it's really good for them young birds have nesting cover, places for them to go after the hatch. So that's all important, and it all works together. Mm.
0: I, I wish... I wish people who are against hunting could listen to these kind of conversations to hear how much science and thought goes into protecting the resource, protecting these animals, making sure they have what they need. I, I, I just, I think some people might be swayed and have a, at least a different perspective on hunting. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Uh, you know, perspective is everything, Tim. And, and to that, to that point, if we don't take care of the resource, whether, whether you're, you're a passionate hunter that hunts every day all, all you can, whether you just hunt a few weekends a year or if you're on our side of it, if, if it makes your living along with being your passion, if we don't take care of those, that resource, both the critters and the land they live yeah. on, it won't be there for us down the road. So how can we sustain our way of life if we don't take care of the resource first? Which I think if we take care of the resource first, then we can continue to do what we do.
0: Mm-hmm. 100%. Well said. I'm going to help out our buddy, little Curtis from Illinois, on the question of the day.
1: Absolutely. So the question of the day is proudly brought to you by HHA Sports, the leader in single pin sites. And I will say, I do love that single pin from HHA. Good, I'm glad. It's The only part I don't care for it is all based on my... Crappy shooting at 60 yards when you have to sight it in. But other than that, it's great. (laughs) That's my weak spot, but that's a personal problem. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So question of the day, let's hear it. Hey, Matt. Hey, Tim. Kurt Geyer from working class bow hunter. Um, I just, I'm really doing nothing but a wellness check right now to make sure you guys are okay over there. um, on the podcast. Um, I saw on DeerCast So there were some people worried that your guys's podcast was going away and we were replacing you. I know we're Mark's favorite. It's weird times, right? It's weird times. We're glad to be here. New kids on the block, you know, it gets kind (laughs) of awkward, but just doing a wellness check. Wish you guys the best. Uh, In all seriousness, we're looking forward to collabing and uh, keep up the good work. I had no idea that that's what you had in here. So Jim, you got caught up in a turf war. So we just uh, partnered up with the guys over at working class bow hunter and they got the best podcast out there and, and uh, they're doing some exclusive content for DeerCast. and, um, Tim and I's podcast, the hundred percent wild podcast is the little
0: engine that could, that has
1: been pushed <laughs> aside and it's called the not your favorite outdoor podcast because working class is your favorite. So Kurt is trolling us. The guy over there at the uh, working class, he's trolling us right now. And, <laughs> and he, he left a question of the day for us and Tim called him little Kurt, little Curtis.
0: <laughs> that, I'm assuming that's what he goes by. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so he got caught uh, up I in get the turf war. Well, well
2: maybe I can help y'all out with that. Maybe we can pull some of our crew over there with y'all a little bit. That's
1: what I'm talking about. (laughs) That's right. Watch out, Kurt. (laughs) We'll take it.
0: If you you want semi-informed opinions on whitetail hunting, bring them in. (laughs) And not much else. (laughs) I got it, man. Not a problem. And body noises. All right. So. Let's dig into that wildlife. Word. The wildlife word is brought to you by Hunter Specialties, makers of the brand new DOD line of deer calls. And Scott, I want—can you toss us a couple of those calls, man? We just—just—he's literally going to throw them at us. Check it out. All right, so
1: this is something that Mark. And, uh, Tad Brown, who's worked with Mark and I, I know Jim knows well, uh, then the guys over at HS have been developing together a new line of, uh, deer calls. So there's one other in this called called the rack jacket, kind of an antler, you know, um, system to easily go out there in the fall. It fits in your backpack and it doesn't make a lot of noise until you are ready
0: for it to make a lot of noise. Yep. And Tim's going to model it. (laughs) it, it, Probably not. (laughs) All right. So uh this tasty wood, so this is a multiple choice question. This tasty woodland treat has 110 calories, six grams of protein, 24 grams of fat, and 41 grams of carbs. Is it a a persimmon, b a pawpaw, c an acorn, or d a Zagnut bar? Jim, we always let our guests go first, so you're up. Oof.
1: Well, what would my options get?
2: A persimmon, <laughs> a pawpaw, and a acorn? An acorn? or a zag. What kind bar? of that? <laughs> well, all right. Any, any difference, white oak or red oak acorns, or does it matter? Doesn't matter. What about weight or size? Doesn't so matter. So if you start all them carbs and calories... It would depend on the size. See, of it, you're,
1: but I'm a, you're talking to a guy here that's had a transformation of
0: his own over the over the last few years. Yeah. I mean, so, so he he's dialed in. He knows his nutrition. One of the yeah. one of the autocorrects that come up when you Google Jim Quest is Jim Ronquist weight loss. Yeah.
2: Ah, that's funny. <laughs> um, but I'm gonna we uh, will not it so. I, my my gut wants me to say acorns. Acorns, because okay. they're full of fat and carbs.
0: Is it acorns or acorns? <laughs> Depends
2: on where you come. <laughs> yeah. Is it soda or is it pop? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It, it's acorns. Um, that, that's 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 good duck food. I'm gonna I'm gonna first answer. I'm gonna follow my gut and say acorn. Okay, but it may be the Zagnut bar. The Zagnut bar is probably the difference.
0: <laughs> it's hard to beat a Zagnut. I'm gonna go
1: with a persimmon. Okay,
0: well it, the the actual answer is acorn. You look out, Jim. Woo! That's you know, 110 calories for a single, a single. Eight, I mean, that's that's power pack. That's a lot, and it well,
2: it, that goes into a whole nother deal. Forest health issue with our bottom end hardwoods, um, red oak acorns are jet fuel from outer ducks and deer, for that matter. Back to your habitat overlap deal. Yeah. So that's I, I kind of study that pretty big around here. So. I kind of had an inkling that acorns was going to be the word.
0: Well, and and it's interesting because I, when I think of acorns, when I think of nuts in general, I think fat, but there's, it's almost got twice as much as many carbs in it than it does fat. That's what she said. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and, and, and they're good carbs too. I mean, that, that's why you see ducks and all the critters, you know, think of a big white oak tree on a good acorn year where you got your tree stand hung at, you know?
0: Same kind of yeah. I mean, I, we were talking about some of my hunts here recently and I've got a really neat little food plot tucked back in the woods and the deer are just coming there to touch the mineral site right now. They're like a, a highway to the big oak tree on the neighbor's property. Perfect. So they, they <laughs> love them some acorns. Should have planted an oak tree, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> just you just up, need but... 40 years to go back in time, get the DeLorean out and What's go back and make it happen.
2: <laughs> there you go. That cool. good.
0: Cool. Well, Jim, thanks so much for hopping on, man. It, we, we I don't know if we've ever covered like I don't know if we've ever covered this many species no. in one particular episode. <laughs> we have
1: not. We've never had someone so versed in all the species like we have. It's Jim, true. So. Yeah,
0: people should pay us for our, listening to this show. Pay Jim at least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, boys.
2: We can work, We can come out with a, with a partnership here. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I promise you, we can That's work right. that out.
1: <laughs> all I'm interested in is coming down there and having a beer at your bar. That's it. Take
2: the show on the road. <laughs> That's right. Roadshow. Hey, y'all come down, set up. I'll buy you beer, teach you how to blow a duck call, and bring y'all oh, in the duck hunt that kind of I don't know make, that you could.
0: That would be interesting.
1: <laughs> I beg to differ. <laughs> I bet you couldn't teach us to blow a d- duck call. Someone fell on a
0: harmonica. <laughs>
1: I'll try. I'll try <laughs> All right. I like it. Cool. Well, we appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. And good luck this season. We look forward to checking yeah. back in with you in the spring and diving into turkeys for tomorrow. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, yeah. All right. We should probably let folks know there's still a chance to win that Tracker Off-Road unit in DeerCast. Go absolutely. to the giveaway page oh, in cool. DeerCast. Make sure you sign up for that. You can only sign up once. If you sign up for it twice, it'll shut you down. Don't
1: yeah. Do so sh- sign up once. It's in DeerCast. It's a free giveaway, and it's a Tracker 800. So this thing is bad to the bone. I've been using one at the least there. It's it's awesome. So Very sweet. Absolutely. Yep. So...
0: I think that's it. All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. Until next time, peace out.
1: The results are in.
2: DeerCast said it was supposed to be a great
1: night. Well, here you go. DeerCast said great. It doesn't exist anywhere else but in DeerCast. Hunters love DeerCast's exclusive deer movement forecast. Get ahead of your game with DeerCast.